At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're excited to speak with Will Wells, the owner and head roaster at Artery Community Roasters, an Ottawa-based social enterprise where people living with disabilities are paid a living wage to roast and package specialty coffee. Will and the Artery team know what a positive impact can do for people living with disabilities, for a farmer defending their land in Guatemala, or a single mother living in Rwanda and their actions and their products support groups like these and people like these every day. Artery Community Roasters knows their far-flung farmers and producers on a first-name basis. They provide stable and worthwhile employment to people living with disabilities, and they know that consumers want to support businesses that give and don't just take. Will is also a volunteer and board director of ABLE2, which supports people with disabilities in Ottawa, and last August, Artery won an award for Best Drip Coffee at Ottawa's Coffee Fest. Congratulations, Will, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having us. It's great. All right. We're delighted to have you here. We're, we we want to hear all about your social enterprise and how you're mixing business with social purpose. But before we do that, our traditional first question is to make sure that entrepreneurs know they're going to get something out of listening to this show. Um, what message or lesson do you hope will uh, percolate through from our conversation today? For sure. Well, if I had to say, you know, the one big takeaway I want, you know, aspiring or, you know, living entrepreneurs to take away is that you can both run an ethical business and a profitable one. You know, I think people often view social enterprises in this lens that they're like a charity or a business that can only survive on, you know, government grants. But but, but the truth is, you know, you can run a successful social enterprise that is profitable and doing good. You know, I view social enterprises as a business model that should operate all businesses. I think ethics and a commitment to the people and places, you know, that our business depends on kind of permeate 
every facet of, of our business. I think that should be the same for every business. So to me, every business should be run like a social enterprise and you can make those businesses profitable. Fabulous. It's a, it's a really good place to start. Your mission, Will, is, is very clear. Ethically sourced specialty coffee roasted by people living with disabilities. Before your enterprise was tangible like it is today with a team and its own products and merch, what did it look like in your heart and mind? Yeah, you know, for, for maybe a decade or longer, I'd always wanted to run some kind of social enterprise because during my time volunteering, um, I kept hearing from people with, with disabilities that were my friends or people that I you know, met through various organizations I worked with that, um, you know, they had, you know, a certain amount of social, social supports. They had, uh, you know, maybe, you know, some, some decent housing, which isn't always the case, but they had those kind of supports. But the one thing that was always missing from their life was just some kind of real, tangible, worthwhile employment. So I always wanted to do something in the, the social enterprise hemisphere. And for a while, I was running a coffee shop. But then I started thinking about, you know, my own time as a barista and how much I really despise that. So I was like, <laughs> I don't want to put other people through that. And forever, I'd been roasting coffee in my garage. So the two just kind of slowly fused together because I'd go to these charity events and I'd sell my coffee and it would always sell really well for, for the charities I was working with. So I thought, I'm going to open up a social enterprise coffee roastery. And I told a lot of people about this idea. And I even got logos made, you know, I kind of got the, the title before the book was written, I guess you could say. And uh, one of those people that, that heard my story was my friend Ian Fraser, who's the executive director of uh, Run Ottawa, which kind of uh, does uh, organizes the Ottawa Marathon and some other races around town. And they had a space in their warehouse. And he thought, why don't you just take it and open up your business? So, you know, that was in a September 2020. And then three months later, we were open up for business. So it all kind of happened together quick at the back end. But it was a dream in the making for a long time. Wow, that's, that's fantastic. So when you say, hey, why not open, you know, why not open a commercial coffee roastery? What told you that the market needed a new niche coffee roastery in Ottawa? Yeah, well, you know, so when we talk about specialty coffee, so people sometimes when they hear me say specialty coffee, I think I'm talking about like French vanilla or whatever, but that's not what we're talking about. Specialty coffee is high-end, high-scoring coffee, so it has less defects than your regular coffee. It's fully traceable, so whereas... You know, your coffee in the grocery store will just list a country. We can tell you a farmer, a plot of land, a type of variety, because coffee is like, you know, any vegetable or fruit. It has tons of different types of varietals. Um, so for us, it, it, it's all about like uh, supplying one more specialty coffee, because in, in Ottawa, we're kind of delayed. So if you go to Montreal, Toronto, Edmonton, Vancouver, there's a lot of specialty coffee roasters, high-end coffee roasters. But in Ottawa, it's still kind of just one or two places that are doing coffee the way they've been doing coffee for a long time. So there was an opening there. And I thought with the added angle of running something that was, you know, really community focused and trying to give back, we're going to have that double support. So I saw an opening during COVID and uh, it's worked well because people during COVID stopped going to Starbucks because they were stuck at home. So they bought espresso machines. They bought better coffee than the stuff they were buying at the grocery store. And, and there was an opening for us there, too. So do you sell mainly to consumers or to commercial accounts? Oh, we do both. So when we first started off, it was uh, mostly online sales through our you know, Shopify account. And we had a lot of you know uh, early success, which was a blessing and a curse because we had no idea what we were doing when we first opened up. Um, but so, so it grew, though. So we have over, you know, now I think it's about over 23 locations, you know, different retail partners that sell our coffee, and, and that's growing, you know, every day. So 
Uh, we've had a lot of wholesale support as well, which is super important to coffee because there is lulls, uh, and you also want to keep our, our our green coffee. You know, that's how it starts before it's roasted fresh. So we, but the more we move, the better, and the more we can help support the back end, which is the farmers, which is super important. So yeah, so we have a really good split. We have a lot of support, but it's it's really divided between online direct to consumer and and wholesale. So we're doing really well on both. Right. And was there any one customer, presumably a retail customer that, that like really took a chance on you in the early days and deserves a shout out? Oh, there's so there's so many actually. So I mean the first retailer that ever started serving us and they still serve us today and sell tons of our coffee is Almanac Food and uh, Almanac Grain, which is a artisanal grain and bakery. They mill their own stone mill their own grains and they're really great partners. There's Maker House, which is a great company in Ottawa that has all these different local and Canadian makers. And they, uh, early on, were taking huge orders out on us. So, I mean, we have so much support from so many different companies. Dominion City Brewers, a brewery in, in Ottawa, which is really socially and community focused, has always had a place on their shelves for us. So, uh, yeah, we've had so much support. And I think, you know, a lot of businesses see... Well, they want to support us and they also see, you know, on, on the flip side, they're getting a quality product because our coffee is, you know, a really high end product. But they're also getting a lot of community support themselves because they themselves are supporting a company that's trying to do good. So I think it's a mutually beneficial arrangement, too. So it's interesting because sometimes we think of a social enterprise or, or you know, a business with a cause as being sort of, I don't know, less than a real business. But what you're telling me is totally. that it actually helps you connect with even more customers because so many people are going to hear about your mission and, 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 and engage with it. Oh, 100%. I mean, our first month being open, I was on uh, CBC twice. I, you know, I had so much more uh, interest in our business than you would a typical business. So from that lens, for sure. But yeah, it's funny, you know, you watch like Dragon's Den and whenever there's a social enterprise or they have the social enterprise episodes, even the de- the dragons are kind of treating them as this charity. And and I think that's like, uh, there's a certain stigma on the word social enterprise where people think that you're just running this charity uh, when it couldn't be further from the truth. You know, I just think that you can run a business with ethics front and center while also kind of matching up with the quality. So I always kind of use the analogy of those chocolate bars I would sell when I was a kid for my baseball team. World's you know, you Finest, wasn't that the, the brand? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, World's Finest. And they were abysmal, right? But so you, <laughs> you go to your neighbors and your friends and family, you'd sell them one bar of chocolate because they were trying to support your baseball right. team, but they would never buy a second bar of chocolate because <laughs> it was so bad, right? So for us, I want the door to be open because people want to support our business. But then once they get the coffee, it's a unique high-end product as well. So it also, the, the quality match and the service matches the ethics. So I think that's really important too, is if you're going to do a social enterprise, you can't just bank on the fact that people want to support you. You also need to give them a reason to support you, you know, not just your mission, but the, the product as well. Yeah. And, and, and that's beautiful that, uh, um, that you've discovered this, that you can say, this is what, ha- what has happened to us especially during a pandemic, for Pete's sake. How did you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, we've had challenges from the get-go, like every business. And and, uh, I mean, the biggest challenge was just kind of learning how to run a business. I think it's, you know, it's a good reminder to any entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur that a lot of us are living this imposter syndrome where we're, we're launching these businesses and don't really know exactly what we want to do or how we're doing things. And we kind of learn as we go and we learn from failure and we learn from mistakes. Uh, and we had a lot of those in the early days. And I say early days, we're not even two years old yet, but 
and we're still making mistakes and still learning. But we had a lot of those challenges. Luckily for me, you know, labor has never been a challenge because I have already five employees for, you know, a small business for the second year is good. And uh, we have the same employees. They haven't left. They're super loyal. They're learning new skills and taking on new leadership responsibilities. Uh, so I've always had great staffs, whereas other people during COVID were having problems with their labor, you know, uh, for various reasons, even they're not paying enough or they can't find, you know, certain certain skills. We, you know, we, we create an environment people want to work for us. And uh, once they're there, they don't even want to leave. So I think, you know, some of the challenges for others during COVID was a, you know, advantage to us. But at the same time, like any business, uh, yeah, we're learning as we go. And, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in fake until you make it, which I think is probably <laughs> great advice for any entrepreneur. Absolutely. Tell us what you were doing before you got involved with this. Yeah, so I do have a day job. So I, I work uh, pretty long, long, long week, long hours, but uh, I'm a public servant. So I write speeches for for the federal public, uh, public public servants. And uh, so I, I still do that. So, you know, I work my day job and then I roast at night and, and, and work all weekend and that kind of stuff. So I've always kind of done uh, another job on the side and I do lots of volunteer work too. So I'm still involved with uh, an organization called Able To, which uh, also we funnel a portion of our proceeds to from our coffee sales and who a lot of our employees come from as well. They're, they're supported by that organization. Um, yeah, so so you know I'm a I'm a I'm a workaholic, I guess you could say, which I don't think is probably a productive thing for a lot of people. And I'm finding <laughs> it's pretty common in this sector. Totally, and I think it's something we have to be mindful of as well. And it's hard with the small business; you can never really turn that switch off. So as my day job, you know, it's a nine to five, and I can go home and kind of shut it off more or less. Uh, but with small business, it's just there's always an idea to pursue. There's always paperwork to do and voicing to do. So there's, you can never shut that, that tap off. So, I mean, you have to love it because if you don't love, if you're just getting into small business for the sake of trying to, you know, profit off selling a business in five to 10 years, or trying to think you're going to hit the, the mother load in terms of profits right off the bat, I think you're probably not going to be successful. You have to really love and have passion for what you're doing, which I know is a bit of a bittersweet pill to swallow, but you know, I, I truly believe that you're going to put in those long hours up front if you really believe in your product and, and, and your mission, too. Right. I'm just curious, um, how do you d- distinguish between roasting and, 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 and your, you know, very important government job? Do you sit there on a Friday afternoon and think, oh, man, work is almost over. Now I can go home and really work. Yeah. <laughs> What's the yeah, language I mean, like, in your I mean, head on that? Yeah, I mean, I love I love going to the roastery and, uh, and and just kind of being, especially when I'm roasting at night and stuff. It is a kind of like a special place for me. So yeah, I mean, I'm always, I, you know, I'm always someone who who doesn't need a lot of sleep. And you know, I always said like the reason I started this business was I just replaced all the time I would spend playing like FIFA on the PlayStation at night with running a business, right? So that's all it was for me. I didn't like to sleep anyway. So so for me, it works. I wouldn't say it works for everyone. It takes a lot of sacrifice. It also takes a lot of delegation, too. I have awesome staff members. You know, my, my manager, Aaron, runs all the day-to-day kind of operations. So I don't have to worry about the, the social media and kind of getting back to clients during the day. My my Sue Roaster, as I call him, Jim, he, he does all the fulfillment and everything. So as long as he has the coffee when he gets there in the morning. So after I've been there, you know, doing my, my roasting at night, he gets there and the coffee's ready to go. He can fulfill so it's about trusting and delegating and, you know, giving leadership positions to to your employees, which I find hard. You know, I'm always someone who's always been uh, 
hard to let go of things and to delegate. So that's always, I think, something that a lot of small business people have to embrace as they want to grow is the fact that you can't be involved in every single facet of your business. You, of course, have to oversee it and and set the tone, the direction, but it's hard to really, you have to let go. You really have to let go of things. So I've been learning that as I go as well. Right. So it forces you to be disciplined. So it forces you to grow as an entrepreneur. So that, that, that's pretty totally. interesting. Yeah. And, and to avoid burnout too, because I'm mindful of that. I know that like, you know, 100 hour weeks catch up on you quick too, right? So you really have to also be mindful of the burnout it can take on, on any small business. Right. Well, hopefully as the business grows, that takes care of itself, but we'll see. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> we, 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 we can live in denial and dreamland for, for a little while right, longer. Right, right. right. Now right. you employ people with living disabilities and you offer them worthwhile employment. What does that actually mean for, yeah. for the people that you work with? Well, I think it kind of, I, I look at it as two different ways. So firstly, it means getting paid, right? You know, like it's, we take for granted a salary, but so many people with disabilities um, do not get the same level of pay as someone doing the same job as them. That's if they're able to get a job. And, and so many people um, are actually forced into working in these environments where they're grossly underpaid because it's kind of viewed as almost charity. So I had an employee when she first started and I told her our salary. So our salary right now is 1860. We try to keep it with the Ontario living wage standards, which it just went up uh, a few days ago. So we're going to revisit our, our current salary. But at the time we opened, it was $16 an hour. And um, one of my employees said, $16, is that for the whole day? And I said, no, that's for hour. And she said, wow, my old job, I was getting $3 a day and she was folding laundry. So a lot of these businesses get away with calling it, giving back as experience or whatever it is and take advantage of that. I that honestly market. thought those days were over. Um, no, I mean, and, and there's stuff like, you know, you get, there's, uh, I, I don't want to name names, but there's a coffee shop in Southern Ontario, which is, gets lots of grants from, from the government. And they're pretty much not paying their, their staff with disabilities, but they're giving them uh, what they say is experience on a CV saying they work at the coffee shop. So I don't really view that as worthwhile employment. Uh, for me, worthwhile employment is getting paid for your labor. You know, sometimes we kind of fall into this fallacy at work where you're, your work is your family and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and laborers do that because they want to have some kind of loyalty uh, from their staff. So I believe that, yes, you can build an environment people want to work, uh, but you also need to build an environment where people also get paid adequately for that work and fairly for that work. So that's one aspect is, is paying them a living wage and committing to that. And, and, and I know that's from a very privileged point. I know not every business can, can pay you know, those type of salaries, but I, I would think a lot of them do and just don't. Uh, secondly, I would say it is building an environment people want to work. So for us, that's building, you know, a really healthy, respectful, inclusive, and accessible workplace. So that's still something we have a lot of work to do. And I think every business can never be comfortable where they are in terms of their accommodation and their accessibility for employees. You can always build a continually more and more accessible and inclusive workplace and a more diverse workplace. And that's something we're really committed to is building a culture and a physical workplace or a virtual workplace where people want to work, where they feel respected, where they feel like they can reach their full potential. Right. And um, tell us about the team that you work with. How did you meet them? How do you decide who to hire? Yeah. So, I mean, like I think any business, different avenues. So, uh, you know, I have Erin, she's my manager and she's awesome. And I met her through Instagram. Someone just said, I don't know if you're looking for more employees. This was early days, uh, but I have a friend uh, who's quadriplegic and she's working from Halifax looking for a job. And I said, yeah, send me her CV. And we hit it off. 
Um, so she is incredible. She runs our social media. She deals with people's pay to make sure people are getting paid, which is obviously super important. Uh, she kind of deals with the team meetings and she deals with the day-to-day -day operations when I'm, when I'm not around. So she's amazing. And that was about also accommodating her request to not work from Ottawa to work, uh, you know, from virtual. And we're super keen on that. It works out great for everyone. Uh, we have my Sue Roaster, Jim, who does a lot of the fulfillment. And I met him because we're just lifelong friends and, uh, you know, he was looking for, you know, worthwhile employment and, uh, you know, we were, we're hitting it off and it's, it's been great. And then I have um, three other employees who I all met through Able2, which is the organization that I do volunteer work with as well. And they work with me in markets. They work with me in, uh, at the shop for doing fulfillment. And uh, they work with me doing social media content, like developing videos and that kind of stuff. So that's been great. And those uh, that's Shelly, Mireille, and Stacy. So I'll give them a shout out too. Uh, and I've known some of them for years and years through my work with the charity at uh, Able2. And they're amazing people. And they're so dedicated. And I can count on my hands, on my one hand, how many sick days all of them have taken combined. They just love to come to work. And, and I'm all for them when they're not feeling well and during you know, lockdown, we're, we're, we were paying them throughout lockdown. But they just love to come to work. So I just, you know, they're, they're an amazing team and I uh, couldn't do it without them. And, and we're hoping to add more and more uh, people to the team and keep growing it. I'm glad you mentioned that thing about sick days because it gives me the opening to ask the, 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 the uncomfortable question is what um, sacrifices, what, 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 what hits are you or the payroll or productivity expected to take in order to work with uh, people with various disabilities? Are there any? Yeah, I mean, I, I would view it as like the sacrifices that any small business owner would take, regardless of their staff is people with disabilities or without. Um, you know, like we don't do token hiring. All our, all our, we find the strengths of all our employees and they're positively contributing, actively contributing to the, to the, to the team. But I'm also coming from a place of, privilege in that I have a day job. So for me, I don't take a salary. I can reinvest in those higher wages. I can reinvest in uh, ethical coffee. Uh, so that's, I know that's a place of extreme privilege to come from that not every business owner can do. So for me, you know, the sacrifice is my time and my effort. You know, I'm working long hours so that if someone is sick and they, or they need time, you know, they need a mental health day or they don't feel safe coming into work because they're taking bus and the cases are up, that just means one more day or one more night where I'm working. And I'm okay with that because I like to do it and I like the work and I like going to the roastery. And that's a sacrifice that I make is just less time at home, I guess. Um, but but for, for me, it's like any business, like labor is a sacrifice and it's probably one of your biggest expenditures along with rent. And that's just the reality of doing business. And I really think you have to invest in your people because turnover is an all time high. And I think that people that are cheaping out on on labor uh, are kind of paying the back end without seeing the true cost of their business. So I would say invest in people. And I, I remember they were trying very hard to make the point that people with disabilities were, were a big part of the solution to the, 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 to, to the labor constraints, the tight labor market in Ontario and in other parts of Canada, and that employers were, and that, that and that they're, they're task, their challenge was to overcome biases that employers might have about, about the compromises they'd have to make hiring people with disabilities. But it sounds to me like your experience is there's not too many compromises going on. 
Yeah, I mean, like, there's first of all, I think there's a huge stigma just around this. You know, people think they're going to have to change their entire workplaces, and yes, you're going to have to make accommodations, but you have to make accommodations for, or you should be making accommodations for any employee that needs uh, an accommodation to ensure that they can reach their potential at their workspace, right? So I think that for me, like, it's no different than taking a risk on any employee. If they have disability or not, you're going to have to invest in them. You're going to have to make accommodations, and you know. There's programs out there. There's government grants, provincial, federal, that will help you to make those changes too, that to kind of lessen the blow to you. Uh, but it's funny, like a lot of small businesses I get. You're a small business and you're struggling and you're in an older building that doesn't have uh, accessible washrooms and stuff. Like it's tougher. You can still, you know, for not that much, put in a ramp outside. Like you can make some changes that some aren't willing to make. But I think the bigger problem is like the larger companies that could definitely be investing in making a space more accommodating, more inclusive and more diverse. And they just aren't making the effort, you know. So I think that's where we need to start is from the top and not put the onus just on really small businesses, but start from the top and let that trickle down. But I think all businesses could definitely, even ours, could always do more to make their space more accommodating and more inclusive. Let's talk about branding. Your brand yeah. is really bright and fun and imaginative. And, and you know, you've got these fun illustrations of cool yellow cats and the sliced up cherry flying through the air and the coffee coming in tins that look like paint cans. So, so what was your process of developing this branding and imagery and packaging? And what messages are you trying to send with it? Yeah, you know, so... Um... Even before I opened the business, I always had a vision of this, you know, for people that haven't seen our logo, it's a, a cute little like heart person who is pouring coffee from an artery into a frothy cup. Uh, and we're called the artery, right? So that was about, you know, the heart. And also my dog's name is Artie. So that was also the inspiration. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, yeah, if you go to our Instagram, he's our, he's our chief for officer. So for those, so he's, he's part of the, uh, he's our CFO, our chief for officer. But uh, yeah, so I always had this, this vision in my head and I had a really photorealistic looking heart. And my cousin, Melly is a designer and she's amazing. And she was in the UK and she looked at it and said, nobody wants to drink coffee out of a photorealistic looking heart that's gross <laughs> so she developed a more cute version and that's that stuck and and for me if you look at a lot of specialty coffee roasters their their branding is too slick like they almost try and, it looks like they're selling like uh like i like diamonds you know like it's just like it's too it's too slick and i wanted something that was still going to show the quality of the coffee and, and still kind of sell the, the higher end uh, aspect of the brand while also being the fact that's like it's just coffee like we're not selling life insurance we can we can we can take it easy you know so we wanted to have fun with it um so the overarching brand is done by a designer which i think for entrepreneurs you know advice i'll give you is invest in in some professional help with your branding it does make a difference than you just doing it all on on canva but all our cute little designs that's just me at you know midnight kind of trying to get a creative outlet and I like doing that kind of stuff too. So if you like doing that kind of stuff, great. Like I think, of, you know, for any small business, I always say like, if you're good at doing certain things and you can save certain money by doing it, like I write all our own copy because I'm a speech writer. So I like writing. Whereas for some people, if you're not great at writing copy, outsource it, right? Like I just think find your strengths, lean into those and outsource what you're not good at, right? So I think for us, uh, yeah, back to the branding, it's just, I have a lot of fun with it. It makes me smile and I hope it makes others smile too. And we get a lot of feedback that it does. And and one thing that's funny is if you look at a lot of companies, especially coffee companies, and you go to their website, 
then you go to the product page, it's all just pictures of coffee bags and they all look the same. And I wanted something where it's like when you go to our product page, there's tiles with different pictures and the info that you need. So you could quickly look at it and actually see different products. Like, you know what a coffee bag looks like. I don't need to show you what the coffee bag looks like. I want to show you something that's going to draw you in, right? Absolutely. So, so, you, so you've got this bright and fun branding, but at the same time, you have very serious purpose in your work. You have a blend of coffee in honor of your mother-in-law, coffee blends that, 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 that support farmers who are defending their land in Guatemala, and a blend to support a friend's battle with with brain disease. Do you have a favorite story of how your product has changed a life or impacted a community? I mean, like, I like to think that, like, because of our ethics and how we source that all our coffees are impacting communities somewhere from start to finish. So, you know, like, uh, every single one of our, of our coffees is a fully traceable coffee. So, like, unlike the grocery store, we can tell you exactly where that coffee's from, who grew it, and that also means we pay them a lot higher. So we call something called Farmgate, right? Which is the price paid to the farmer. Uh, and we have, you know, farm gates that dwarf what, what's on the grocery store, like just, you know, six, 10 times higher sometimes. Like it depends on, on the coffee brand, but I'll have to say they're getting a larger chunk of that end product, right? Which is really important. And also we, we are committed to a microfinance program that also pays farmers throughout the year additional funds that they don't have to pay back to us. It's just when we have, a good year we're, 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 we're sharing that wealth with the farmers, which is really important to us. And from that, like you said, we have indigenous farmers in Guatemala that, that are using that part of the, the money they raise through coffee uh, to help their peaceful land defense against a silver mine that's trying to take over their lands, right? Uh, and then we have every other farmer we work with is, is you know, fourth generation farmers in Colombia that are just small family farms where they are just, you know, living, you know, quote unquote, paycheck to paycheck or crop to crop because it's such a fragile ecosystem and, and coffee growing is so hard and getting so expensive for them as well. Right. So that's a huge impact of being able to sell directly. The, being able to sell their coffee directly to us is so impactful for them because they get so much more of the larger cut than if they're selling to a large company where they're just selling it for pennies on the dollar. Right. Um, and then, yeah, at the end. And then also when it comes to the coffee that we're selling here in our community, uh, we, we try and find ways to get back. I already mentioned that all a portion of all our sales goes to Able Two uh, every year, and then also uh, like my our Mary's Finest is named after my mother-in-law Mary, who died of a rare brain disease and uh, or sorry, a blood cancer. Sorry about that. And uh, so every year at Christmas, we give a donation to the uh, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. So we, there's a lot of different coffees that we do. We're trying to pass that impact around and. Uh, Again, place of privilege or we're, you know, a successful company. I have a day job. I can take some of our profit and reinvest it into causes that we think are important. Um, and, and there's a lot of those that we find important. We have a hard time saying no to uh, various causes. Wow. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. And what kind of relationships have you created with the, the coffee producers? Um, are they personal relationships? Do you get there to the farm gate and, and meet with them? Are you telling their stories? Yes. Yeah. So, um, Telling their stories is a huge part of our business because, you know, coffee farmers and producers are the most important part of the coffee value chain. Don't don't kid yourself. Right. And they're so routinely overlooked uh, and, and so very poorly compensated on the grand scheme of, of the coffee industry. Um, and in some cases, like the farmers working in Guatemala, they're under threat of violence. Um, so, you know, they are risking their lives literally to to grow this coffee. 
So the least we can do is at least, you know, share their stories and pay them what they're worth, uh, which is still not not enough yet. So for us, you know, we're, we feel so privileged to get to work with the same farmers every year and building relationships with those farmers, you know, whereas a lot of roasters are just going to look for the cheapest or maybe the most unique coffee that year and not necessarily just kind of go through large intermediaries. What we work with is just like at the most one degree of separation from the farmer. We meet them through a friend of ours who is a kind of a coffee advocate and importer in Montreal. He, he finds good fits for us. And then we commit to buying those coffees every year and building relationships with those farmers. So thanks to Instagram and social media, we're talking to these farmers on a weekly basis. Uh, we haven't been yet just because of, of COVID and we started the business during COVID. But uh, yeah, we're, we're, we can't wait to go to Colombia, Rwanda, Guatemala and visit, visit these farmers because uh, it's just, you know, they are the reason we can be so successful is because the coffee is that they're growing and sacrificing for. All right. This is such a great story. I really appreciate your sharing it with us. Well, what, what, what is your vision now? Where do you see this business going next? What would you like it to turn out to be? Yeah, I mean, I have uh, very ambitious plans for this business. I, I want to hire as many people with disabilities as I can, and I'm so committed to doing that. Uh, the next step for us is, is getting to retail locations. So now we don't really have a physical storefront. Uh, you can pick up at the Roastery, but it's not like a store. Uh, and a store for me is huge because that means more hours for people and maybe more staff too. Uh, but yeah, it's challenging right now to find the right space, uh, especially an accessible space and a space that's going to work for our needs. But that's the next plan. And then to keep growing those. Like I, I do believe that this company uh, will have the support and the kind of uh, structure in place that it will be successful wherever it goes in Canada. And that's my plan is to try and you know, build it as big as I can and to also inspire other businesses to kind of uh, copy us. You know, go and hire people with disabilities. Just do it the right way. And I'm even happy to help you. You know, reach out to me. So I, for me, the, the vision is just to keep hiring as many people as I can and producing and, and, and supporting as many uh, farmers directly as I can and paying them what they're truly worth uh, and just, you know, having a quality product. Right. You have this gift for making this uh, this very special business sound almost easy, and I'm sure it hasn't been. What do you <laughs> see as the biggest challenge for you going forward? And is there anything that uh, other entrepreneurs could do to help? Yeah, I mean, like, I think like the same challenges that every other business is facing right now, you know, the growing costs of everything that when we were starting two years ago, the landscape did not look like it, you know, looks like now. So for us, it's still being able to ensure that we can invest in our ethics and invest in our coffee um, and still keeping our product competitive. Because the truth is, and especially the coffee sector is we're not all created equal. A company that can say their direct trade could be paying a fraction less than we are for coffee and kind of marketing it as a similar product and charging a lot less for it, like any business, right? But in coffee, it's really pronounced. So for us, it's still making sure that we have that support from the community uh, because our product is, is is a high quality, but also because our ethics maintain, you know, maintain ethics. I never want to to kind of sell out on my ethics, which is a challenge, right? As any business grows, you know, the, the, the common curse I think is they have to start cutting corners as they expand. And I really want to avoid that. And I'm committed to avoid that. You know, I don't want to expand for the sake of expansion. I, I want to ensure that we're doing things the right way and, and, and kind of support your ultimate goal. Well, it sounds like you have your work cut out for you, but your heart is in your work and uh, you're doing great work. So uh, I, I'm sure things are going to, uh, 
to, to, to move forward as you hope. Any final words of wisdom, Will, or advice that you'd like to share with Canadian entrepreneurs? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, I know times are hard, uh, but to invest in, in your people. And one, one great way of doing that, especially as a lot of uh, entrepreneurs talk about kind of a shortage of labor is there is a pool of untapped talent out there that is just, you know, desperate to work for you. And that is people with disabilities. And that if you commit, you know, to paying fair and to kind of uh, building a place where they want to work and that they feel accommodated to work, you will have an amazing group of employees that you are and that have a diverse and unique set of perspectives that other employees may not have um, just at your doorstep. So I feel like there's, you know, such untapped potential there that businesses need to tap into. Uh, and, you know, I, I would say to aspiring entrepreneurs, um, I would just say, like, prepare to invest in your ethics and, and, and know that from the beginning, I think that it's hard sometimes to kind of cut your margin to just kind of buy better sourced materials or to pay your staff more. But I think in the back end, I really do believe society is starting to come around where they want to support more ethical businesses. And, you know, that's not always the case. We see that the best, most competitive businesses are still the ones that maybe are a bit shadier on their ethics to be kind to them. Um, but I think that people do want to support good businesses if the product and the services are there to match. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, we, uh, fantastic conclusion. I can't add anything to that. So thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> I've been talking with Will Wells, the owner and head roaster at Artery Community Roasters in Ottawa. Congratulations on your success and your commitment to, to, to social change on a number of fronts, which is really interesting to see how they all work together. And I wish you every success. Thanks, Rick. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.